The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. Yeah, nobody as a kid plans like someday I'm going to grow up and be a heroin addict. You know, we never meant to get there. show hey carling you sound different Um, (laughs) well if i sound a little echoey it's because i'm recording from my new subterranean villa (laughs) and so a few things i was just saying i don't want to leave my living room because one of my dogs is just getting settled and he's been hiding in the bedroom and he just decided to come out and he's resting in the living room, and I don't want to get up and, like, disturb him. Is he feeling a little bit stressed about the new place? Yeah. He had a real stressed-out poop. Oh, that's not good. And then, yeah, and then I'm also trying to talk quietly because I don't necessarily need the ladies upstairs being like, who's Carly talking to? What's she talking about? Well, they need to be on our podcast, obviously. Well, maybe. I know. They're so great. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Um, hey guys, I moved. Yay! Yeah, just this past weekend, and you were a lifesaver and helped me so much. Oh my gosh. I convinced myself yesterday that I had COVID because I felt so sick, but I think it's because I got too much sun from moving. Sun and, like, exercise. Well, okay, rude. I exercise every day. <laughs> all day, every day. Uh, no, yeah, listen, I think it was, was like... heavy lifting. It was a lot of lifting. You have a lot of crap. A lot of stairs going down to the villa, subterranean villa. I um, declared that you have more drawers and more, what was the other thing? Oh, tables. Uh, Coffee tables. Than anyone may ever need. Yeah. It's like you're collecting drawers and coffee tables. (laughs) Everyone's got to collect something. No, they were very kind and left a couple of coffee tables, but I didn't know that. And so I brought a few coffee tables. Like four. And then <laughs> I, I brought three and they left two. Yeah. But for like, for a one bedroom villa, five coffee tables is too many. It's good that you have so much storage and you have a lot of space and it's such a nice place and I love yeah. how bright it is. But um, I just want to make a public declaration that... One of two things will happen. One, I will never move again. I live here forever now. Yeah. Because I'm never moving all of this crap up those stairs and into another space. (laughs) Or two, if they don't want me living here forever, I'm going to start saving money every month now and I'm going to hire movers. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to have to hire new friends. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. I had movers for my last move and it was a game changer. Like, it just makes all the difference because you can just focus on, like, directing traffic Mm -hmm. and unpacking. Yep. But anyway, how's your week? Well, it's Monday. Oh, yeah. Like, how (laughs) was last week? How was this past week? I think it was okay. I don't really remember. Last week was nice because I had two days off, so I got quite a bit done. This, today is meh. It's my anniversary, so that's kind of poopy. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, it's like a hard memory. You guys yeah. could have been married 13 years to get, mm-hmm. or you, you've been married 13 years. Yeah. So three years. I don't years. know what the correct term is because you're still married. Yeah. It's been three years since, uh, this is my third anniversary without him. So that's fun. Oh, and it's funny because I'm like, ah, I'm like, oh, yay. There's no, no like big things coming up. I can like relax a little bit. And then it's like, bam, anniversary, yeah. bam, Mother's Day. And I'm like, son of a. Yeah. Like, that's enough. Yeah. 
But I worked today and it was really busy. So that was good because it like kept me busy. I feel like I was going to say something to you during our intro, but now I can't remember what it was. So circle back. Does it have to do with how incredible you are and you coordinated a group of people to get me a collective giant housewarming package? I'm pretty sure that's what it was. (laughs) No, I... Dinker. I know. And okay, what I thought was funny is that you and I went to Ikea together. Yeah. And you are <laughs> a very interesting <laughs> shopper, I have to say. And I've always known this about you. You're always very hesitant to buy anything. And I'm not. And that's not a good thing for me. Um, yeah. Like I have buyer's remorse even if I buy food that I need. You have buyer's remorse before you even buy anything. Yeah. I'm you like, like convince yourself I'm in the moment that. that like it's a bad idea. So that was interesting. But then I messaged a group of our friends and your friends and asked them if they wanted to contribute to a housewarming gift. And it stressed you out because you like sensed something was going on, but I was, you just needed to mind your business. You were being a little sus. I was being very sus. And then we got you some stuff for your new place and some gift cards so you can pick out things for your new place. Yeah, and then I sobbed like a baby. You did cry. It was so cute. I, like, I, receiving gifts is not my love language. I know. Which doesn't mean I didn't appreciate it, but it makes, it's hard for me to accept gifts. I know. And then you were just like, you do so much for so many people that people wanted to do something for you. And I just lost it. Yeah. And I was like, this is really mean of me to give her a gift because she hates getting gifts, but I want to give her a gift because she deserves it. And it's like, you're just going to have to suck it up and accept the gift because. Yes. No, it was amazing. (laughs) I'm so happy for you. Your little place is so, so perfect for you, I think. Thank you. Maybe I'll take some photos and I'll put it on Instagram. Okay. But today's episode. Yes. We're not just doing an episode where we talk about my new villa. I don't know. That's it. Enjoy. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hello, Sarah. Hi. Hi. How's it going? It's good. How are you guys? Not too bad. We were just talking about how there's a snowfall warning and it's April right now. And <laughs> that that made, so wild. Yeah. That makes me want to relocate to Oklahoma where you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like 70 something. It's beautiful here today. My husband's going to play golf. He's so excited. Uh, so oh, yesterday nice. here in Calgary where we live, it was about worse celsius but we think it was about 75 fahrenheit yeah yesterday and it was sunny everybody was out on patios walking everything and then we woke up this morning to a blanket of snow (laughs) wow oklahoma weather's like that too one week it's hot the next week it's snowing the next week it's raining it's so strange weather is just a weird thing it (laughs) is yeah, I mean, we we should snow. be used to it by now because this happens every year. We'll get snow in April. We'll get snow in May. Yeah. yeah. I think we've even had snow in June. Yeah, I think Not so a lot, too. but yeah. like it goes away. But yeah. yeah. I'm over it. I need to move somewhere where that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every time I hear Oklahoma, I just want to sing. <laughs> do it. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, but I want to. <laughs> Nobody wants me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I am like such a, I don't know. I didn't know that Oklahoma got snow. I picture Oklahoma being like, I don't know, really hot. And don't you get tornadoes? Not to say that you can't also get snow, but I feel like. Yeah, and we really don't get like the beautiful, like, you know, feet of snow. It's more like we get a little bit of snow and then it turns to ice and then nobody knows what to do or how to drive and the whole world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Are you guys still pretty locked down or like how's it with the pandemic? No, our governor took away the mask mandate and like last year. So March, April, May of 2020, my kids were quarantined or, you know, virtual school. But we went back in August and we've been back. Oh, okay. Yeah. they. And are your numbers pretty low? Like um, I haven't really looked lately, but they were yeah. not low. No, but Oklahoma just doesn't really take it very serious. So. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. We're, our government is like trying to take it seriously, but n- we have like, I don't know, a bunch of rednecks here in Alberta <laughs> and they're just like, this is a hoax. Yeah. We're not doing this. And so right. our numbers, yeah, our <laughs> numbers are just like astronomical. Which is crazy because, so my brother-in-law or my brother and my sister-in-law live in Canada. And I remember seeing a map 
like sometime in 2020 and it showed like you know like three red dots in Canada and America was just all red yeah COVID infections and my sister-in-law was saying that you guys shut down everything you couldn't go anywhere except like the pharmacy and some the grocery store maybe yeah yeah yeah. we did shut down for from March until like June June or so um but anyway this is not why we have you on our podcast (laughs) (laughs) um we're we found you on TikTok and your story just like blew us away. And so I put my brave pants on and messaged you and you were so kind to reply. Um, So why don't we start by just like having you introduce yourself and we'll kind of get into it. Okay. Well, my name is Sarah. I'm from Oklahoma. Right now I'm in law school and I work at a law firm and I'll be graduating next year, 2022, and I'll take the bar and hopefully I'll be able to practice by the end of 2022. Oh, oh that's God. amazing. That's, yeah. What kind of law do you want to go into? Well, right now I'm, I work at a criminal defense firm and that's kind of why I went into it because of my past and everything that I've been through. I really wanted to help other people who need like rehab and mental health awareness or mental health resources instead of just prison, you know? Yes. Yeah. The United States, but especially Oklahoma is the worst at just throwing people in prison. And then we get mad when they don't change. And it's like, yes. yeah, prison isn't. Prison doesn't change people. No, it just Absolutely. puts them away for a little bit of time. And then they don't get the help that they need while they're in there. Yeah. My- yeah and they just meet more criminals and learn new things. And it's yeah. terrible. Yeah. And I think especially where like addiction comes into play, like they're not, if they're not addressing the root cause, you're not going to like, you know, fix like, anything. Yeah. Fix yeah. anything. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and I didn't say that, uh, but I am a heroin addict. I've been sober in May. It'll be six years. Wow. So when I talk about my past, that's what I mean. I was a criminal and a liar and a cheater and a thief. Yeah, and I think that's. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like such an interesting perspective, and I don't know. I feel well, maybe just because of where I'm from and what I do. I've like I don't have a lot of experience with like people with stories like that. So that was really something that drew us to your story. Uh, so why don't we like kind of dive right in and tell us? Yeah, in your words, tell us your story. Okay. So um, I was born and raised here in Oklahoma where I live. Uh, My mom and dad were married when I was born. My dad was an alcoholic and a drug addict and my mom wasn't, you know, she was just a normal, I put normal in quotes because I don't know what exactly is normal, but (laughs) yeah, she didn't have a problem with drugs and alcohol. And she tells the story that they, you know, they'd go party on the weekends. They would go drink. They would even do cocaine sometimes. And Monday morning she would get up and go to work and he would be mad like, I don't understand. He didn't want to stop. You know, he just wanted to keep going. Yeah. Wow. They split up whenever I was four. It was just me and my mom for a long time. And I, I remember like my mom had a house and a car and a job and my dad didn't, he bounced around a lot. And I didn't understand, you know, as a four or five, six year old, that that was his fault. And I kind of blamed my mom for a while. I thought she left him. So, you know, it's her fault. Yeah. And I got very codependent with my dad. Um, and I, you know, did pretty much anything he wanted me to do. It took me a long time to be able to even talk about this because I felt like if I said anything negative about my dad, that I was like betraying him or that I didn't love him. And now I know that you can love someone and I know how much he loved me. You know, I was his only child. I was the only child of my mom and dad. Um, but he was sick. You know, he was a drug addict and he yeah. never was able to stop and he didn't know you know, how to do anything different. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And where do you know, or do you mind saying if you know, like, how did he get into addict? How did he become addicted? Um, I don't know for sure. I know that he grew up in a very small town in Texas and his family was like super religious. I think Mm -hmm. at one time they like bought an RV and we're going to go around the country, like, I don't know, ministering people or whatever. Oh, wow. Wow. And I know he got in trouble when he was like 16 and he had the option of either going to prison or going to the Navy. And so he went to the Navy and um, he did that for four years and he got an honorable discharge and all of that. But I think he just, you know, his, um, my grandpa, so his dad cheated on my grandma and they split up and he moved like to another state or something. So he really didn't have a father figure for a while. And I don't know. I just know that um, he was very different from his family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I always find it interesting to sort of find out sort of like how far back like addiction goes. I don't know. But yeah, that's really interesting. So then how did your addiction start? 
So um, I don't, I go over this a lot and I can't say exactly. And I think it's a mix for everybody between like genetics and environment. You know, I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think, you know, it's like a, people are allergic to peanuts. You know, there's not really a reason you just kind of are, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I know that I, it was just me and my mom for a while. I would see my dad on the weekends and I would see, I knew him and his friends did drugs, you know? My mom got remarried when I was 12 and I also was like really scared to love this man because I thought again that I was betraying my dad if I was too nice to him and mm-hmm. I don't know so I rebelled a lot and then in high school like my friends had been drinking and, and using for a while or just like smoking weed and stuff like that and I had always said no 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 you know I was kind of like the goody good in the group um, <laughs> and I don't know one weekend I just said okay fine and so I drank with them and I you know, got over drunk and was throwing up. And um, I just, all my life, I I didn't know this at the time, but looking back all my life, I had felt different. I remember when I was like in third grade, they put me in the smart kid class and they would like, come take you out of your teacher and put you in this other class for an hour. And I just remember the kids in there, we do, they do like science experiments and math problems. And I just felt so inadequate that every year I would tell them, just put me back in my class. And then in high school, I remember my friend talked me into trying out for cheerleading. We did that. We made varsity for our 10th grade year. We were so excited. And I was already a little young for my grade because my um, birthday fell late, you know, and I have red hair and freckles and I'm pasty white. And I just remember like all the other girls were beautiful and tan and had cars and the boys loved them. And I just, you know, everywhere I went, I just didn't feel I like I fit in and I don't. I don't even think that was true. I just think that somewhere along the line that I bought into that, that I was different and that I I was inadequate. And, and when I drank for that first time, it was like, I did not have to feel those feelings. You know, all of a sudden I didn't care if I was cool enough or pretty enough or smart enough. I was just able to be me. It took the weight off my shoulders of like trying to pretend that I was cool enough to hang out with these people or, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it kind of escalated quickly. I mean, I know a lot of people who drink and use for a long time, but I just did it to excess from the very beginning. Um, I did finish high school. I kind of skated through and I was able to just maintain, I guess, even though I wasn't really trying. And then that summer after high school, I got arrested several times just for stupid stuff like public intoxication. Uh, one time I got pulled over and I had alcohol in the car. So it's like minor in possession of alcohol. I started going to jail. My mom bailed me out, I think twice. And then the third time she said, I'm not going to bail you out of jail again, unless you go to rehab. And someone told me I had just turned 18. This I turned 18 in September of 2007. This was October of 2007. Um, And someone at the jail told me, Oh, it's just a three day evaluation. They're just going to make sure you're not crazy. It's not a big deal. Just do it. Uh And so I agreed to do it. And they, my mom picked me up and took me to this place out in the woods in this little town And it was a house for girls 18 and under. And all the girls there, I said, after we did all the paperwork and all that, I think it was like a Thursday or Friday. And I told, I asked the girl, so does the weekend count towards my, my um, three day evaluation? And the girls (laughs) started laughing and said, uh, this is a 90 day program. You're not leaving. Oh no. Wow. And you were, you had just turned 18. Yes. Did your parents know about your using before it got this bad? I mean, they kind of knew just because of my attitude and stuff. My mom was very naive though. And I had been a very honest child. It was just her and I for a long time. I told her everything. And I think she just wanted to believe everything. But a few months before this, I had told, I think I told my stepsister I had been taking pills and that I wanted to stop. And so, yeah, she did know. And I mean, there were nights, like I remember one time, I was living in Stillwater, which is like 45 minutes away from where my mom was in Oklahoma City. I was going to college there, which I was only there for like three months before I got kicked out. And I had come back on the weekend. There was like this party out in a field somewhere. And I went out there and I I don't even remember what happened. I just know I ended up in a fight. And by the time I made it back to my mom's house, I had like a bat in my backseat. My back window was broken out. The whole side of my my car had just dents in it from people kicking it and throwing stuff. You know, so she knew something was going on. They just didn't really know what to do with yeah. me. Wow. That's got to be, I'm not a parent, Michelle is. And I like, I don't even know where to begin, like how you help your kid if you see them going down a path you don't want. Yeah. 
Yeah. And now I have a 16 year old. Uh, my It's my stepson, but he's lived with us for five years, basically since we got sober and, um, you know, he's starting to experiment and smoke and drink. And on one hand, it's like, oh, he's a teenager. It's fine. And on the other hand, I'm scared to death because I don't want him to have to go through what we went through. Yeah. And we're the lucky ones. We made it out alive and got sober in our 20s. And a lot of people don't. So. Yeah. Did your mom talk openly about your dad's addiction or was it kind of a secret or something you don't talk about? Oh, we talked very openly. And she tells a story that when I was like seven, I asked her, am I going to be like my dad when I grow up? Oh, said, uh, we won't know that until you try drugs, I guess. I mean, I hate yeah. saying it like that. She didn't encourage it, but she just kind of said, we won't know that. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you know, you could be, which is the reason you should never try it. But, you know, you always think, like, I would never do that. Yeah, because you wouldn't. It's the addiction, right? Like, it's the illness. Yeah, nobody, as a kid, plans, like, someday I'm going to grow up and be a heroin addict. You know, we never meant to get there. Yeah. One thing leads to another, and next thing you know, you're stuck, and you can't figure out how to get out of it. And did you have a relationship with your dad through any of this? I did, and actually... um, you know, he knew that I was because I think I had told my mom or I don't I don't remember. I just remember one time she called him and said, Sarah's smoking weed and she's tried pills and she's blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think my dad also I was his only child and, you know, the light of his life. And he I remember he got on the phone with me and said, Sarah, it's OK to experiment, but you're not a drug addict and you're not going to be. And, you know, I think that was his mindset. Like she's just young and she's trying things out and it's OK. And my dad actually towards so. I told you I turned 18 in September. I went to rehab in October. My dad died in November and I was 18. Oh, God. oh wow. And did he die because of his addiction? He actually had a brain aneurysm, which was the second brain aneurysm in his life. He had one when he was 25. The doctor said he was not going to live. They put a metal plate in his head. He lost his sense of smell and he lived through it. And so this wow. time he was 50. And I think, you know, I don't think it was directly related. I don't think the using caused the aneurysm, but I think the fact that he couldn't recover from it was because, you know, his body was just weak and he'd just been doing this for so long that he just wow. couldn't fight it, you know? Yeah. Wow. So you're in rehab and your dad passes away. What happens? Do you stay? Well, Do you leave? Actually, I was not in rehab because I, after seven days, I packed my bag and I hitchhiked back to Stillwater where I had been living. Wow. <laughs> and the girls at the rehab said there are people that have left here before and the cops always get them and bring them back. So, you know, I was scared to death. I was young and dumb and I didn't realize I was 18. So I was legally an adult. I was yeah. not court ordered to be there. The cops were not allowed to come get me, but I didn't know that. So I was so scared every night I was staying with a friend and I would just lay in bed and my whole body would be shaking. Cause I was like, the cops are going to kick in the door and take me to rehab any minute. Oh, <laughs> oh God. And because of that, I stayed sober for like between one and two years. I don't remember exactly, but just based off of fear alone, I was able to just, you know, kind of white knuckle it and push through. And then, so I was 18. I moved back to Oklahoma City. I went back to a little community college here. I got a job. Like I was doing well. I was staying sober. I had probation because of those charges that I had been arrested those few times over the summer. But then when I, I want to say I was about 20 or coming up on 20 and all my friends were starting to go to bars and clubs and drink. And I started to sell myself the lie that I can just drink alcohol. Right. As long as I don't um, take pills or do anything else, you know, alcohol will be fine. And it was fine for a little bit, you know, until it wasn't. And I don't remember exactly when the switch happened. I know that I got my wisdom teeth taken out somewhere in this time. I had tried pain pills before and I had never really been a fan of them. But when I got my wisdom teeth taken out, I remember that was the first time I was like, oh, I do like the way these feel. And so I just started taking them here and there. And I took, I mean, it started with like low milligrams and then it kind of progressed to stronger I don't know what I'm trying to say. More potent, I guess. Yeah. Pills. Yeah. Like higher doses, um, more strength. Yeah. Yes. And really the whole time I was taking pills, I kind of managed. I mean, I was still like robbing Peter to pay Paul and it was the cycle of like finding them and getting them and using them. And, but it was like, I had a home, I had a vehicle looking at me from the outside. You couldn't have just looked at me and said, Oh, she's a drug addict. You know, mm-hmm. I was like kind of 
what they call a functioning addict or functioning alcoholic. Yeah. And then it got to the point where I couldn't, one day I couldn't find any pills and my body was addicted to them. And I started having withdrawals and I had looked all day and this guy that I knew and I trusted, I called him and he said, I can get you some heroin. And I hung up on him at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what do you yeah. think I am? A junkie? I would never. Well, a few more hours went by and I couldn't find him. And I sold myself another lie that uh, I'm just going to do it this one time. Wow. Just this one time because I can't find anything. But once you get that feeling, it's so much strong. And this was the first time that I used IV. And mm-hmm. so the feeling was so much stronger and it was so much cheaper. And it just, I mean, there's just no way I could go back. Wow. And I had said for years, like, I will never try heroin because I know I like pain pills. So therefore I know I'll like it. Yeah. You know, and I, for a long time, stuck to, like, stuck to that. But I don't know. Like I said, one thing leads to another and you end up in a place that you never meant to be. Yeah. Well, and you hear that. You hear that so often. It's that you do it the one time and you think, like, I, I don't need to do this again. And one time is all it takes. So that's, I mean, it just shows you how powerful that drug is. And heroin yeah. is I don't know drugs very well, but is heroin, it can often be cut with other things. And that's why it's so affordable. Yes, very much. And that also makes it really dangerous. Yes, it does. And since I've gotten sober, um, now there's fentanyl, which from what I've heard is like a grain of salt can kill an elephant, you know, to, I read something or one of the attorneys in my office said he read something that said two milligrams could kill 4,500 people. Oh my god. Yeah. I was on when I had my first miscarriage, I actually was on fentanyl. They gave me that for pain. Yeah, I think that's a thing. My dogs have been on fentanyl. God. Yeah. That's terrifying. And a lot of times they'll give it to people in a patch form. So you just like put the patch on your body Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. slowly but you know, drug addicts will cut those up and eat them or try to shoot them. I mean, drug addicts are very resourceful. Yeah. resourceful yes yeah <laughs> yeah wow um I'm just curious can you talk a little bit about your experience when you were in jail before you went to rehab was it like a juvenile detention center or was it no it was a a real jail or a grown-up jail um it wasn't a small town so the first couple times I went was in the small town where there's only like 10 women in there because I was 17, almost 18, the first two times and the last time I had just turned 18. Yeah, they took me to the real jail, but I only stayed there for a day or two because in mm-hmm. small towns, when you get arrested the next morning, you usually go in front of a judge. Right. And for yeah. the first couple times getting in trouble, what they do here is called an OR bond, which is a, or a PR bond, personal recognizance or your own recognizance, just meaning like, you know, you're a low level criminal. We trust that you'll come back. The more you go and the worse your crime gets, the higher your bond is. Okay, so you take heroin for the first time. Yeah, so I take heroin for the first time. And within six months, I mean, it was just like a tornado came through and ruined everything. I mean, I lost my home. I lost my vehicle. I actually, so I used heroin from the time I was probably about 22 until I was 25 when I got sober. So really a, a pretty short amount of time. And in those three years, it's kind of all a blur. I just know that almost immediately my life was upside down. I could not maintain anything. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't do anything. I ended up totaling three vehicles in that time. Like I said, I lost my house. So I would stay with other people or I would stay on couches. And at the time I would say, I'm not homeless. I'm staying here. Mm -hmm. Now I know if you're sleeping on somebody's couch, then you're probably homeless. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So this, this went on for three years. Yeah, for three. I mean, and there were there were periods where it was like I would get a little bit better and then I would get a little bit worse. Every time it would get really bad, I would call my mom. I would tell her I want to go to rehab. She would send me back to another rehab. So in total, I went to rehab eight times. Wow. The first seven times I left early. And what's crazy about addiction is that it's a it's a mental disease. You know, people think like you do get physically addicted, but like you can go to somewhere and they can take uh, detox you and you can walk out of there and you're totally not physically addicted. But something in your mind tells you it's a good idea to try this again. Yeah. Right. And that's what it is. You're just you're selling yourself a lie over and over and over. And in, until we can understand that our brains are trying to kill us, it's really hard to get sober because I, every idea I come up with to me seems like a really good idea, you know? And so I keep leaving rehab early and I keep telling myself, remember that one time when you were 18 and you ran away after seven days and you stayed sober. 
You stayed sober for a year or two. Like you can do this. You can leave here. And I had good intentions every single time you could have hooked me up to a lie detector test and I would have passed. I meant to stay sober. That was my intention. But something happens when you get back here and you don't have anywhere to go. And the only people you know are the people who get high. And, you know, sometimes I would hold out for a week or two. Sometimes I would hold out for a month or two. But inevitably, I would always end up high again. And is that why, I don't know if they still do it, but the TV show Intervention, it always seems like they always go to rehab out of state. And then they always end up moving to not, they never end up going back home right out of rehab. And is that because you want to break that social circle of the people who you use with? Yeah, I think that is definitely a huge part of it is that you want to get people away from the people they know, the places, you know, you'll hear people say you need new people, places and things. And that is, a, and it is a great strategy, I guess. Yeah. I went to rehab the last time in Texas and that's where I completed rehab. And I came back here and I ended up going to sober living. But for me, I knew that I could not move out of state. Like I'm just one of those people that I get homesick after a couple yeah. weeks away. And so it was really important for me to find people here And make new people, places, and things here where I wanted to live. That way I could stay sober here. And you'll see a lot of people who will go somewhere for rehab and never come back. I mean, they'll come back and visit family, but they'll never move back. Yeah, because it's just too triggering. Yes. Did you have a close relationship with your mom through the whole thing or did it get strained? It did get strained. Uh, We had this family therapist. Uh, My dad died and... You know, my stepdad is sober. He's an, He was an alcoholic and now he's been sober for a long time. And my mom, she just couldn't, she was so codependent. I was her only child. I was her baby. You know, she wanted to protect me. She grew up in a family where she was the oldest of four kids. And she started working when she was like 13 to help take care of the kids. And, you know, they moved around a lot and all the things that she didn't have, she wanted to give to me. And finally, our family counselor told her, her name's Jimmy. And he said, Jimmy, you know, you're loving your daughter to death. You're going to kill her by bonding her out of jail. And every time she totals a car, you buy her a new one. And every time she steals you, you know, you're not letting her experience any consequences. And he advised her to go to an inpatient treatment center for codependency. And she did. Wow. He said, you know, if you, cause I kept running away from rehab and he said, if you want to set the example, this is what you should do. And she did. And she went out of state to a treatment center for 30 days, which is still one of the, you know, most commendable things that I've ever seen because I wouldn't do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, and after that, she did really good. I mean, she eventually got to the point where she would just turn her phone off at night and she wouldn't answer me. And I really think that's what saved my life because I didn't have anybody to call. I didn't have anybody to when I stole from someone to pay them back or when I, you know, messed something up to fix it or to pay for my attorney or bond me out, I didn't have anyone else to call. Um, those last couple years, you know, I had, I was sentenced when I was like 18 to a couple years of probation and I had made it through that. And then I started getting new charges. So I got arrested three more times the year before I got sober. Wow. Um, and, and what kind of charges were those? One of them was a DUI driving under the influence. One of them was a possession possession of heroin. And one of them was several charges for false declaration to a pawn shop. So I had been stealing jewelry and taking it to this pawn shop and selling it. Oh, and I went there like four times. And the fourth time when I got there, the cops came and met me there and took me to jail. So I had all these charges hanging over my head. I didn't have anywhere to go. You know, I was miserable. Like I said, I had wanted to get sober for so long. I just didn't know how. I had this probation officer who I was supposed to be going to meet, but I couldn't go meet him because I couldn't pass a drug test. So I was like on the run from him. And he was like calling everyone I knew, threatening that he was going to send me to prison. And I mean, it was just the perfect storm that I finally was like, okay, I'm going to go back to rehab. And my mom, like I said, the first seven times I would pick up the phone and she would, you know, come get me and take me somewhere and get me, um, you know, like new underwear and bras and socks and toiletries. And she'd take me to rehab and she'd feel sorry for me. And At this point, it was like she wouldn't answer the phone. And I texted her and said, I want to go to rehab. And she said, "Okay, great. Call me when you get there. Oh, wow. Yeah. That must have been so hard for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just looking back at the things I did, I mean, I just made up extravagant lies to try to manipulate her into giving me money or doing like I remember one time I called her and told her that I was being held at gunpoint and that I needed money. 
Yeah. And I, you know, just got the money and got high and went on with my life. And she asked me after I got sober, was that true? You know, and I had to come clean and tell her, no, that was not true. And all these years she's been, you know, so worried and stressed out about me. Now I, I deal with a lot of addicts and a lot of families. And I always say, I feel like it's harder for the family because the addict gets to get high and cover up those feelings and forget about it and, you know, find a way to cope. Whereas the family, they have to do it sober and they have zero control over it. And they just have to sit back and watch someone try to kill themselves, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. God, that's so hard. And so did you, how did you create, I don't know, I guess, what was the turning point? What was rock bottom? Like, what was, what was the thing that made this last time stick? I don't really, I can't say for sure. I just know that it was the perfect whirlwind. I didn't have anywhere to go or anyone to call. So I I found this rehab in Texas and my only criteria was, would they let me smoke cigarettes? And they would. And so I drove down there in the middle of the night one night. And I remember on my way there, I made myself a promise. All you got to do is complete rehab. Because I know, you know, this is me talking to myself. I know I'm not going to stay sober. I know this isn't going to work. I've already tried everything these people have told me to try. I'm going to prison for sure. So at least if I go to rehab and complete it, then people will feel sorry for me when I'm in prison. And maybe they'll send me some money or come visit me or something like that. Yeah. So I got there in the middle of the night, like I said, and I just, I kind of stayed in my room and they would give me workbooks to do. And I would do these work. And I I thought it, the faster you do your work, the faster you get to go home. And so I just kind of did the work as fast as I could. Um, And I didn't realize this at the time either. But looking back, I started to be honest for the first time in my life. And I remember there was one day I knew a girl who lived in Texas and I knew that she would bring me some pills to the rehab if I called her and it's, and we were allowed to have visitors and we were allowed to make phone calls and all that. So I, instead of calling her, I went to my counselor and I told him, Hey, I'm thinking about calling this girl. Please don't let me. Cause this is where my mind is going. And I don't want to do that. And just, you know, little things like that. I just one foot in front of the other, instead of going back, um, I had been living with a guy before I went to rehab and it was a terrible relationship. Um, he was physically and mentally abusive. He didn't want me to get high. And so every time I did, we would get in this knockdown drag out and then I would leave for a couple weeks. So when I went to rehab, I had been gone for a couple weeks and I did not want to go back there. And so when I got to rehab and after being there for 30 days, I don't know, I just didn't want to go back to that same environment where I had been. And so I called around and I found a sober living house, which is basically like a halfway house. There's women's houses and there's men's houses. And there's usually like six to 10 girls there. And you have a curfew and you have to be involved in like church or 12 step meeting, some kind of like recovery program. You have to have a job. You have to pay rent. You have to do chores, you know, just things that most people do. I hadn't done in so long. So, I mean, it was life changing for me. It really was because I was around a group of girls who were trying to do the same thing I was trying to do. We were all trying to stay sober. There was one girl there who was my age and she had been there the longest and she just took me around and introduced me to all her friends. And, you know, sober gatherings started being like our social gatherings. Like instead of, Hey, let's go to the movies on a Friday night. It was like, Hey, let's go to this cookout where all these sober people are going, or let's go to uh, conferences or things that, you know, or, or related to recovery. Yeah. Is that like, that must've made the difference, right? Like, yes, it made a huge difference. So did you break up with that guy that you were living with or were you together or we were together? Yes. Um, and probably I had been home less than a month and yes, I broke up with him. Um, he started, you know, like driving by the sober house and didn't believe that I was there and didn't believe, you know, just crazy stuff that, when you're high, it doesn't seem that bad. But when you're sober, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is yeah. not, I did not sign up for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you're in the sober house, are you seeing some girls leave, some girls, you know, going back to that life? Or was it more of like a, we're all in this together? Like, let's do this. You're definitely seeing a high turnover rate. You know, sadly, mm-hmm. people come in and they use in the house and they get kicked out or they do good for a while And then when they leave the house, they end up relapsing. And it's actually sad because I think I was in there with eight girls. And of those eight girls, I'm the only one who has stayed sober. Oh, wow. And I've seen some of them, you know, come in and come out. Like that girl I said was the one who introduced me to all her friends. We've stayed in contact 
um, this whole time. And she has had, you know, six months here or six months there. I think she has six months right now. Oh, wow. Oh, I hope she can get longer than six months. Yeah. Me too. And so where, so where does your story start to turn and lead you down to where you are today? Like, how did that journey happen? Well, you know, it's just kind of one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. Um, I met my now husband when I was still in the sober house and he was in another sober house, which they don't recommend that you date in the first year. <laughs> but it yeah. was like, you yeah. know, we were following all these other rules. This was the one thing that we broke. I don't know. We just, everything we did, like I said, was recovery related. You know, date night was going to 12 step meetings or like I said, conferences or cookouts or to dinner with people or, you know, we both had like mentors who were also sober and everything we did, we ran by these people, you know, he had a, a man and I had a woman. We also, he went to like 12 step meetings and gatherings that were only men. And I went to them that were only women. And we just kind of did it together. You know, we built each other up and we believed in each other. And probably, I think we were like two and a half years sober, maybe when we bought a house in Moore, which is like 20 minutes South of Oklahoma city and his son was, I think, 12 at the time. And he was already living down here and more with his grandpa. So we bought a house down here so that he could come stay with us if he wanted to. We could see him more. Um, and he ended up moving in with us right off the bat. And then my husband, or he was my boyfriend at the time, he asked me to marry him. Aww. And so we got married in 2017. And um, I went back to school right around that time. So those two years I was sober when I was 18, I got a two-year degree, an associate's degree. So when I went back to school, I only had to go two more years to get my bachelor's degree. And so I did that and I did really well and I was so excited and I wanted to do, I wanted to get my master's in drug and alcohol counseling. Mm. And I actually applied for a program and I did not get accepted because I didn't have all the classes I needed. And I, I remember just being so, feeling so defeated and bummed and I don't know, something clicked and said, I, I called my husband and said, well, do you think it's crazy if I try to go to law school? And he was like, no, I think it's awesome. And so I called my Aww. mom, mom, do you think this is crazy? And she said, no. And actually, I remember when I was younger, I wanted to go to law school. But, you know, I was just young and saying like, oh, someday, huh? whatever. Yeah. So I spent the next year like studying to, for the um, law school admission test and preparing all these applications and you have to put every single time you've been arrested and every time you've been kicked out of school and every time you've lost a job and you know I was just like brutally honest on all of these papers and I told you know and I and you're able to look at the records and see okay she got sober on this day so all of her bad grades and getting fired and going to jail and all those things are before that right yeah. and since then you know I had proof of going to rehab and going to sober living and one of the conditions of my sentence was that I had to take three random drug tests a month for two years. Wow. So I had, you know, an abundance of all these clean drug tests and all these volunteer opportunities I had done. And so I applied to a couple schools here in Oklahoma. And first, um, the school I'm at called me back and said, we love your application, but you're on active probation and we just can't accept someone who's on probation. But when you get off probation, call us. And this uh. was in spring of 2019. And so I remember I call, I call my husband and I call my mom and I'm crying and I'm like, I don't get off probation until December of 2021. And then I would have to wait until August of 2022 to apply because you can only apply in the fall. And I was just heartbroken. And my mom and my husband both said, call your attorney and see if there's anything he can do. And I remember thinking like, he, I mean, he's a good attorney, but he's not, you know, magic. He can't yeah. make them let me into school. So I call him and he says, bring me all the stuff you've done since you got sober. Bring me proof of rehab, proof of sober living, proof of drug tests, proof of 12 step meetings, classes, everything you've done since then, all your grades, your bachelor's degree, all of that. And so I take all that to him and he takes it all to the judge and the judge dismisses all my charges like a year and a half early. Oh wow. my God, that's amazing. Yeah. And so I call the school back and I'm like, you said to call you when I'm off probation and I'm officially off probation. And Aww. the lady was like, okay, well, you know, bring me the proof that the judge dismissed it. She said, we're going to have to have a meeting and, you know, I'll get back to you. And in the meantime, my attorney offered me a job answering the phones at his law firm. So he was my criminal defense attorney. 
And so I'm sitting up there like two days later, I'm at the front desk, I'm answering phones and the dean from the school calls back. And she said, we had a meeting and we decided we're going to let you in and we're going to give you a scholarship. Oh my God. What? That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. So it was really, really cool. Now I'm, I'm finishing up my second year. It's three years long. So like I said earlier, this time next year, I'll be getting ready to graduate. I'm in the top 10% of my class. Like, I mean, it's just incredible to see where I've come from to where I am now. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. That's, oh, I feel like I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. And how, then, how is your relationship with your, your mom now? Oh, it's excellent. You yeah. Know, Probably for the first year, maybe two years. I mean, we got close immediately and we started seeing each other and all of that. But for the first couple of years, it was like anytime I told her something, I would send her pictures or, you know, screenshots of text messages or just to prove what I was saying, even without her asking, just because I had lied to her for so long that I know it took a long time to build that trust back. But now we're there, you know, and there was a time where she put cameras on her house because she knew that I was a a thief and she was scared of what I would do, you know, and now I'm allowed to go over there whenever I want. And sometimes whenever she's gone, if I have a break at school or something, I'll go over there and take a nap before I go back to school. And it's just, it's been really cool. And to think about, you know, she gets to go to bed every night without stress, without worrying, without, you know, what is Sarah going to do now? Who's going to call me next? I think that's really the biggest gift that I could give her is peace of mind because I stole that from her for so many years. How are you and your husband doing now with sobriety? Like, are you still each other's like biggest support system? Yes, we are. And actually this last year has been a whirlwind, which I know it has been for everybody with the world shutting down. And um, so in March of 2020, I always knew my husband had a daughter also besides his son, they have different moms. Um, And I knew when my husband was in the worst part of his addiction within a year or two before he got sober, he and this girl were dating and she got pregnant and, you know, I knew of her, but I didn't really know anything about her. I'd never met her. And the last couple of years I've been telling him, you have to get a hold of her. You know, we know her mom's a drug addict. We know she's still getting high. Like we don't know what this little girl's going through, but she needs us. That's what I kept telling him. She needs it. She needs us. And he tried to reach out a few times, but it didn't really go anywhere, you know? And, um, in March of 2020, DHS called us and said that she was in an unsafe place and that we needed to have a safety meeting. And so we did. And when we went in there, you know, they started going over all the things that were the problem. Basically, she had missed like a month of school and they had sent her home the last two days she was there because she had an infection in her mouth. Oh, and the whole God. side of her mouth was swollen and she was living in a camper. And you know what I mean? It's just my husband yeah. and I were both just sitting there crying. I was yeah. crying. I had never even met this little girl. And we immediately told them, you know, we want her. And so they came and looked at our house. And a week later, she moved in with us. Wow. Just over a year, she moved in. And then that was in March of 2020. Summer of 2020, my husband got COVID. So we all got quarantined. Plus, the world had just shut down. Like, literally, the, the week she moved in with us, we couldn't even enroll her in school at first because the school was shut down. Yeah. Oh, God. And how old was she when she moved in? She was seven then. Oh. And then at the end of 2020, I found out that my husband had relapsed and I just, I guess had been so busy or naive or whatever that I didn't even realize it. And so he left for rehab. And so then I became a single mom of these two kids. Wow. And then he went to sober living when he got back from rehab, he went to sober living for about three months. So, which he would still come here on the weekends and visit us and have dinner and stuff like that. But like the day to day, it was just me and the kids. Um, Actually, my mother-in-law helped a whole lot. I don't mean to sound like I did it all, but I just mean it was a rough year, you know, but yeah, luckily, and actually my husband and I, we've talked about it a lot in the last few months. Like we were both at a place where we just didn't know, we didn't believe we could ever make it back to like common ground. We had grown so far apart and we were so mad at each other. I didn't think I would ever even be okay with him moving back in. But after he came back, he worked really hard, you know, to get back on track. And I started going to therapy and he was going to therapy. And I don't know, one thing led to another. I mean, we've worked really hard in the last few months and we've prayed really hard in the last few months. And, you know, God has brought us, I don't want to say back to a place because it's, we haven't been here before, you know, this is new, but it's better than it's ever been. Our communication has opened up. We're listening to each other. You know, there for the last couple of years, I would be so mad. I would just bottle all these things up 
and never tell him why I was mad. And then I would explode. Yeah. You know, how can someone fix something if you don't tell them what you want? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know I get on people's nerves because I'm like always looking at the bright side, but that's just me. I'm like a, a ha- glass half full kind of girl, you know? Yes. Everything we went through this last year brought us to where we are now, you know, and to me, it's worth it. Just like everything I went to went through in my life and my addiction brought me to where I am today. And if I wasn't a drug addict, I don't know if I would have the gratitude and the purpose that I have now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And do you think when you at the beginning, when we talked about going into law and we talked about keeping people out of jail or jail not being the thing that fixes people, what do you think would have been different if you could have changed how you were prosecuted in the legal system? Like, what would that have looked like? Well, honestly, I feel like I got really lucky because I had family who bailed me out of jail. So I didn't have to sit there for more than a few days at a time. I also had family who could afford to send me to rehab and they did. And even the last time when my mom wouldn't take me or anything, it was still the insurance that she was paying for that paid for me to go, you know, and that was the only thing that she was really still willing to do was pay for my insurance. That way, when I was ready to go to rehab, I could. But I feel like there's so many people who don't have those opportunities. And I know that I think that most um, states and government systems are like trying to recognize addiction and are trying to, I know in Oklahoma, we have a couple diversion programs where, you know, there's one here called Remerge for women. And they basically will send you to rehab, send you to sober living, pay for you to have housing. And while you're there, they will help you with your legal stuff. They'll help you with any like um, family law. Like if you've lost your kids or you're trying to get those back, they'll help you get a job. They'll help you go to school, you know, just an all around resource to help people get on their feet. And when I was an undergrad, I took some classes on uh, substance abuse studies. Cause like I said, I wanted to do drug and alcohol counseling. And one of the things I learned was that we could send a person, I think it was Three times we could send them to rehab a year, and that would cost us less than jail for a year. Wow. Hmm. That might not be exactly what it was. Basically, we could send them to rehab over and over and still be paying less than what we're paying now. Yeah. Wow. Wow, That's so interesting. Because this past year has been so difficult and everyday stresses in life, especially with school and kids and everything, I guess, what do you do day to day to um, make sure that you don't go back to your addiction? A huge part of it for me, and I think probably for a lot of alcoholics and drug addicts, is that somewhere along the line, we lose the desire to get high. You Mm -hmm. know, there was a time in my life when all I wanted to do was get high, get high, get high. Mm -hmm. And that has gone away, thank goodness, because if I had to fight that all day, every day, and not that it doesn't ever come back, it comes back in in small doses here and there. But for me, um, I have learned so much in the last almost six years that Now I know what we were talking about earlier. It's a brain thing. My brain is going to lie to me and tell me things that are not true. Mm -hmm. And if I can sit back and play that tape through, and a lot of the common lies that addicts brains say is that this time it's going to be different. You're just going to do it once. Nobody's going to find out. You can get away with it. If you just do pills and don't do heroin, you'll be fine. Or if you just drink alcohol and don't do drugs, you'll be, you know, all those Like rationalizations and justifications. Being involved in 12-step program is really, that's what taught me everything I know. That's what gave me the fellowship and people that I know, the mentors that I have, um, you know, they have it figured out. Those 12-step programs have been around for uh, almost 100 years now. Millions of people all over the world. They're literature in so many different languages. I mean, obviously it's working if it's been around that long, you know, and and what the, that's exactly what they figured out is that once we take one drink, one drug, one anything, that yeah. we are not able to control it. We lose the power of choice. We don't stop usually until someone else stops us. And then that's the physical part. And then the mental part is that once we run out, we're willing to, to do anything to get more. And I'm going to tell myself whatever I have to tell myself to mm-hmm. justify what I need to do next. Yeah, you know, it's, it's okay to steal from my mom because she has the money to replace it. Or it's okay to steal from so-and-so because they have insurance or, mm-hmm. you know, just crazy thoughts that rational people don't have. I also don't hang around with anybody who gets high. Yeah. Even if people that I've known my whole life and that I love and I love them from a distance. I do work with a lot of new girls who are like coming into rehab or detox, stuff like that. And I will pick up those new girls and take them to meetings or whatever they need help with. 
I mean, to an extent, I don't, I try not to cross the line into enabling, Mm -hmm. but usually when it's an old friend, I will have someone else I know pick them up and meet me there. Or if I'm going to go get them, I will take a sober friend with me just to be accountable. Or my husband, you know, he and I are still, yes, very much each other's biggest supporters. And we're also close enough that we can call each other out in ways that other people can't. Wow. I feel like you've lived so much life for how young you are. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And yeah, I'm so excited to sort of like see where you go once you graduate. And yeah, I think you're going to just keep having such a positive impact on people's lives Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who need it, you know, who are who are where you were so long ago. Thank you. I hope so. I really do. I, I would assume not many lawyers or many people practicing law have been in jail themselves or have been in rehab themselves and to be able to kind of take that firsthand experience and be able to say like, I want to help change some things because I know that either this isn't working or this could work. I think that that is so valuable. On that side of it, like helping the community. But I also think when you sit down with someone in jail and they're telling you this place is terrible, what can I do to get out? Mm -hmm. And you can say, I know how bad it is. And I've been here before. Yeah, It's almost like they look at you like, okay, you understand, you get me in ways that other people don't understand. You know, because you're walking in there and you have a suit and a briefcase and all that and you look all professional. Yeah. And they don't ever expect you to say, I get it. I've been here. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's so important. Good for you. Yeah, that's really fantastic. I'm so like, thank you again for, you know, reading our message and writing back. And yeah, it's been it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for reaching out. I'm so excited. And actually, since you reached out, I've had two other people ask me to be on podcast. So I don't know. They haven't scheduled it or anything. So I don't know if it's really going to happen. But I'm like, you guys are the first. That's so exciting. That's really nice. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a pleasure and an honor. I'm so excited. So thank you. Absolutely. Of course. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Carly. That was so good. So crazy. Could you imagine living like that kind of life but then also like look where she is now and how incredible she's doing and she's just gonna make the world a better place like what's with these people who are just making the world a better place what are we doing with our lives we're just telling the people's stories who are making it a better place i guess and maybe subsequently (laughs) making the world a better place okay sure (laughs) yeah we'll, we'll go with that i think so um, yeah, Sarah, thank you. Sorry, I was just scratching my foot under my laptop. Oh. Um, Sarah, thank you so much. Yes, thank that you so much. It's got to be so and difficult to like share a story like that and be so vulnerable. Today, if you're listening on the day that this episode is released, may the fourth be with you. <laughs> do you even know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> it's something to do with Star Wars. Okay, good. Yeah. No Star Trek. No. Star Wars. No Star Wars. No God. God, I had it right the first time. You had it first. Star Wars. May the fourth be with you. But also, we didn't. It was kind of a last minute thing, so we never had it on any episode. So if you are listening on May the fourth, twenty twenty one, today is the last day of our fifteen percent off merch sale on our store. So if you've been wanting to get some merch or you just are now hearing for the first time that we have merch, then you should go over to our store. (laughs) The link is in our Instagram bio. And uh, today's the last day where you can get 15% off everything in the store. Yeah. Get a hat. Get a tote. I feel like I said that awkwardly. Get a dog handkerchief. Get a water bottle. Get a... Get a hoodie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Get whatever you want. And then hopefully we get our custom stickers in soon. Then we'll be able to. Yeah, it looks like they've shipped. I know. I'm so excited. Yeah. So I don't know. Stay tuned, guys. We got so much exciting stuff coming up. Yes, we do. If people want to know what we're up to, they can check us out on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at I did not sign up for this. Or you can join our Patreon where we have some juicier stories. So if you want more of us, but you want to pay for it. (laughs) check out our patreon if 
you want to support what we do, check out our Patreon. Um, okay, friends, I hope that May the 4th is great for you. And, oh no, May the 4th be with God. I don't know. I hope May is a great Name month for you. five then, Star Wars characters right now, Carmen. Um, Bubba Fett? Bubba? Isn't that Bu- what it is? It's Boba. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Boba Fett? Um, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker. Okay. Uh, Han Solo. Uh-huh. And that, like, uh, H... No, not H2D2. R2D2? <laughs> yes, very good. H1N1? No! <laughs> <laughs> I used to call Han Solo Hans Solo just to drive Anthony crazy. I was like, his name's Hans. It's not. Yeah, Hans Solo. <laughs> Amazing. All right, everyone. All have right. a good week. Bye! Bye!